Welcome to Drinks, Jokes, and Storytelling, the ESPN for all things comedy, with your hosts, Mark Riccadonna and Richie Byrne. And now, grab a drink and welcome Mark Riccadonna and Richie Byrne. Folks, welcome to Drinks, Jokes, and Storytelling. I'm your host, Mark Gregadon, and with me as always, not Richie Byrne. Byrne. It's Tom <laughs> Bannis. How is everybody out there? I'm so excited about our shows, man. We've had two great days in a row that we get one repeat guest and another legend in the music and comedy scene joining us today. I'm right. super excited. Um, I was trying to come up with a common theme because these guys both work together and know each other, and um, we thought it would be really cool because they both did this historic event from 1989 called the Moscow Peace Festival, um, which we'll get into. But uh, we'll, let's bring out our guest, uh, our guest co-host, uh, Mr. Frank Vignola, stepping in for Richie, because Richie is working on the Drew Barrymore show, so he won't be with us. Nice. Maybe for a month. Um, so we might be uh, bringing in some some uh, guest co-hosts. Frank, how you doing, buddy? Uh, pleasure to be here. You know, I was listening to the opening, and I was wondering when you wrote that copy and you said, grab a drink, did you realize the show is going to be broadcast at 2 p.m. on Tuesdays? Uh, that's when I start drinking, Frank. Five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I... Um, I, I, I'm super happy to have you on, and, and uh, yesterday was a lot of fun. We had Pete with us, who's yeah. uh, coming back today. We also had John Fugel sign. Yeah. And uh, funny enough, and I didn't plan this, in the pilot that I wrote, our other guests, Don Jameson and John Fugel sang were a radio team who are the rivals of our heroes, and the, uh, they were the bad guys. So, uh, wow. And, and by bad guys, they were the Christian radio station. So. Now this is amazing because yesterday I'm, I'm like I'm subbing for Richie and thank you Rich congratulations with the Drew Barrymore thing keep going and it's like so yesterday I meet Pete and you have John Fugel saying and then today you bring back Pete and it's Don Jameson so I'm just like I feel like I'm getting called up from Columbus to like you know, <laughs> be in the lineup with the Yankees. <laughs> Frank, thank you for playing for the Columbus. Uh... Tornadoes, but today you're a Yankee. Today you're a Yankee for a cup of coffee, my friend. You are on the 54-man roster or whatever the heck it is now. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm going to bring these guys up, but we forgot yesterday to do the drink and the joke because of my uh, sinus infection. I was uh, high on whatever it is, Sudafed or whatever you take for sinuses. So um, I was going to say, was a, little NyQuil, a little NyQuil being your drink isn't so bad. We'll give that to you. You're fine with it. DayQuil is <laughs> DayQuil. Yeah. So let's bring out um, – I'll, I'll introduce uh, – you got to meet him yesterday. Hopefully anybody tuning in got to meet him because uh, he's such a uh, wonderful wealth of information and a great artist as well as on the technical side. Uh, old friend, Pete Demas. Come on in, Pete. Hey, Mark. And then, we, and then also, what's so – What's, this is you. so crazy because our, our other guest worked with Pete back in the day at MTV, 
And then him and I became friends. He's the host of that that uh, metal show, but he also has another show on the Kumia Network, that Don Jameson show. So let's bring Don out, Don Jameson. Hey. Hey, otherwise known as not John Fugelsang. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, real quick, what's everybody drinking? Does anybody have a drink? I have coffee today. I'm, I'm That's <laughs> Nothing yet. I'm old school in coffee, black coffee. <laughs> this is a, a, a sober, sober, whatever day it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Don has a hard out because he has to uh, take off at two thirty. He's on tour with the Dead Daisies, so that's kind of cool. And as far as joke, I think I found a perfect street joke for this uh, for this panel. So, because uh, we're talking about the Moscow Peace Festival. The uh, Russian band had a sound technician, and the Czech one too. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Not bad. Not bad. I feel like the I feel like Jason Pollock right now. <laughs> I'll bet you in '89 that joke was actually making the rounds at the festival. <laughs> but uh, it's funnier when you say it in like Russian. Russian. <laughs> you look a little bit hey. like Lemmy from Motorhead with a little trimming on your beard. I think you can get there, Mark. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! So uh, I wanted to ask Don because we we got into Pete's history yesterday. Um, but Don, how? So we're we're hoping to get to the Moscow Peace Festival. How did you go from kid growing up in Jersey to working at MTV? Yeah, I've been look, it's been I've been lucky enough to have two great careers, one behind the camera and you know worked along with with Pete at MTV back when MTV was cool. Um <laughs> you know, I loved all, I loved all the memes that that just came out when MTV turned 40 and said, "Happy 40th birthday MTV. Thanks for 14 years of great music." Yeah. <laughs> I saw that. yeah. And we were lucky enough, Pete and I, to, to work there when, when there was music videos and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. And then, you know, I was and then at night I was out working at the clubs, you know, you know, you guys, Frank and Mark, you'd see me, you know, late night at, you know, wherever, New York Comedy Club or, you know, down at the cellar after. You know, I'd go on the 1.50 a.m. slot after Louis C.K., Nick DiPaolo, and Dave Attell just destroyed the room. Wow. <laughs> and then I was the cleanup spot. But, you know, oh. that, that's, that's how you, you get your chops, man. If you, can, if you can muster a couple of mercy laughs after those guys just, you know, mopped up the room, you know, you go, yeah, all right, you know, maybe I got something here. You pay your dues, and, you know, now I'm out opening for bands doing stand-up. So um, it's been crazy, but... Uh, yeah, Pete and I were at MTV uh, when the, the Moscow Music Peace Festival thing uh, was happening, and uh, man, I mean, what a what an unbelievable event! So, uh, how did the the festival even get uh, started? Like, oh, I, I know a great it was story. Um, uh, the manager uh, for those bands, Bon Jovi and Motley Crue and Ozzy Osbourne, uh, what's his name again? John. Doc Who? McGee. Doc McGee. Uh, so apparently, the backstory is uh, Doc McGee uh, got arrested for uh, transporting uh, drugs. Wow. And um, <laughs> ch chances chances were that Doc McGee probably wasn't wasn't doing the drugs. 
himself. <laughs> he was just transporting them. And uh, part of his uh, court settlement was to do something charitable along these lines. And so he got together with a Russian producer by the name of Stas Naman. And the two of them uh, put together uh, the Moscow Music and Peace Festival in Luzhniki Stadium, which is the Olympic stadium that seated 175,000 more seats. So wow. it was just like the hugest place in the world. Like the places and we play, Mark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shippensburg, I think, has a, a stadium like that. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. So he gets they, – they, they team up, but how did they – because was this the first time that a band went over, uh, American bands went over? No, or was... I think Billy Joel had gone over before mm -hmm. that, I think, if I recall correctly. And, I, and you know, Paul McCartney had released his uh, special Russian album there. And uh, that was, oh. uh, I think, I'm not sure if he ever played there, but... Um, uh, there are other artists who were there. In fact, uh, one of the cool things about that trip is that while we were there, Billy Crystal filmed his first H HBO special, and we went to go see him. Uh, and that was really special, a really wow. special night, you know, fantastic experience. So, But uh, the lineup was huge, right? It was uh, Bon Jovi, Motley Crue, Ozzy Osbourne, and I'm saying it in that order because that's, the original order that did not maintain throughout the concert. And there's a great story around that one. Um, there was, uh, um, you know, uh, Scorpions and Cinderella and uh, Sebastian Bach. What was his name, his band again? Skid Row. Skid Row was there. And uh, anyway, and Gorky, Gorky Park. Gorky Park was there. And, uh, and you know, uh, the, I will say the thing was, um, you know, psychically, the artists really did go very well together. You know, it was kind of a cool uh, group. You know, all together, they had the same mindset. You know, well, yeah. yeah. If you think back to, if you think back to MTV, you know, in that, so that was '89, right? I mean, yeah. those are the bands that ruled the world. I mean, there was nobody bigger than Bon Jovi and Ozzy and Motley Crue and the Scorpions. So to take all those bands over there was a huge deal. I mean, these are the these were the biggest bands in the world at the time. And, um, you know, but also, you know, that's he has to put together a charity event to help drug addiction in Russia. And he brings Motley Crue, Ozzy <laughs> and, bon Jovi, and Skid Row with him, who uh, who was most likely transporting the drugs forth to begin with. But uh, <laughs> it's a thought that counts. Who knows? <laughs> Just a guess. Yeah. So I have a question. So was it a one and off because it was part of Doc's sentencing agreement? That's what it was born of? I'm not sure, to be honest with you. Um, I can tell you right now it was very costly because you have to remember we brought or they brought the entire, they built the, the world's largest stage that was ever built. And wow. it was designed by Peter Max. And it was absolutely gorgeous and super cool. The center of the stage was a giant rotating disc that was basically a peace sign. 
And what it enabled you to do with this partition in the, in the space of a, a peace sign was that one band could have their uh, drummer set up and playing while the other band was setting up the drummer, which is the most complicated setup, right? And then when the next band went on, they just rotated the disc. Uh, so uh, the staging was super impressive and gorgeous uh, at the time, for sure. Mm -hmm. I just remember seeing all the clips on MTV of those guys on, on, you know, MTV News covered it. So you saw them getting on the plane to go over there. They interviewed the bands on the planes. They interviewed them when they got there. And, you know, as a young guy back then, you know, whatever, I was 21, 22 at the time. I, like, I, I couldn't imagine that, like, a lot of those same guys have become friends of mine today because yeah. I just remember... Yeah. You know, I could still remember as a fan, like going, "Man, these like these guys are like the biggest rock stars ever!" Like, look at them; they're you know they're being treated like kings. They're on private planes and all this stuff. And you know, now I know know most of these guys. You know, yeah, that was a <laughs> chartered plane. That was a big chartered plane. But they had brought the staging in on some. I think, if I'm correct, I think it was 75 18 wheelers. Uh, brought in oh. everything across the English Channel from England and drove across Europe into Moscow. Wow. Uh, and there's also a great story about the catering service called uh, Eat Your Heart Out. Uh, and they were famous, actually, I believe, for uh, doing the Led Zeppelin tours. And uh, they th that commissary that was set up, I mean, we literally brought everything possible including power generators as if we were doing a show in the desert and we had nothing and uh, when we got there we found out Luzhniki Stadium was built on one of the largest power stations we ever saw you know so you know we just <laughs> came in there blind with all this stuff uh, but there's some good stories around um, catering stuff I'll share later after uh, we make good use of Don's time yeah Don, you're you're like 21. You're traveling to Russia to go see these bands. I mean, what what? First of all, what was your job on set, and what were you? What was even going through your mind? Well, I you know I hate I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I I, I never went over there. Oh, okay. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> I, you know, I know Pete did, but I, I you know, and I was just working you know in the office. You know, back back um, in New York City. Uh, so you know, I wasn't uh, I wasn't directly involved with it, but I did get a, a cool jacket out of it. I we we have a couple photos of this jacket with a <laughs> handsome model. <laughs> <laughs> As you can see, I'm, I I would have to turn mine into a vest. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So to peek. Pete will remember, you know, um, I, I guess he was, was he the president of MTV at the time? Doug Herzog, um, who's, you know, a terrific guy. And again, here I am 21 years old. I Pete, remember I had hair down to like my yeah. nipples, basically. Um, yeah. You know, which is how I ended up to M at MTV to begin with, because it's like, who's, who else is taking me in? You know, this, there's not, a, <laughs> there's no accounting firms looking for a guy, yeah. a guy with a long mullet down to his chest. So. Uh, MTV was pretty much my only opportunity. And um, I think, you know, Doug 
you know, was the executive on the project and he was gifted with that beautiful leather jacket. But um, he I guess he figured he can't pull it off. And so I give it to the guy with the long hair who really loves and digs this music. And uh, yeah, doesn't that say a lot about him, though, doesn't it? I mean, what a great guy he is, you know, and also he gave it to the right person because, you know, all of us, we had our musical affiliations and that was in your wheelhouse and he knew it. So, you know, cheers to that guy, you know. I got more involved in the music side um, the following year when when Headbangers Ball hired Ricky Rackman. And so then I, oh, that's yeah. when I really started to get entrenched a little bit more yeah. on the music side at MTV. Um, so that was a year later. But yeah, thanks, Pete. That that was uh, was and still is a great a great honor that that Doug you know gave me that jacket yeah. as a gift. And I saw him. Uh, God, it must be five years ago now. The or no, mm-hmm. it must be longer than that. It, the the Trump roast on uh, Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. And uh, Doug was the executive over at Comedy Central. I think he was the president there at the time. And I and, and I wrote for Lisa Lampanelli for the Donald Trump roast. And sitting at my table with Lisa's husband at the time and a couple other people was Doug Herzog. And that was the first thing I said to him. And I hadn't seen him in 20 years. And the, that's the first thing we talked about was was the jacket, you know, because I, I think, you know, he realized how special it was to me back then. And, you know, I wanted to let him know all these years later. Yes, I still have it. And, you know, yes, it's, it still means the world to me. And you went regularly to the biker rallies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've worn it once for Halloween. I, I went as dice. That's the only way I could pull that jacket off. <laughs> just once done just once yeah, well okay. i probably wore i probably wore it a bunch back then because i had the long hair I, you know like i was you know the rock star wannabe look um but ever yeah. since i cut the hair to normal mullet, uh, length uh, it doesn't work as well truth, truth be told don i saw you riding the subway on it to work one day so <laughs> i'm gonna call you out on it buddy <laughs> and i said to myself god damn it that guy's brave <laughs> well, now, now just riding the subway um, in New York is brave. Quick poll, <laughs> right? Quick poll. How long do we think that jacket would last at Sturgis? <laughs> I've been to know. Sturgis a couple times. Not not long. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, David Allen Coe would be wearing it within fifteen minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, and the funnest thing it was having friends like Don and Pete and my other friend Kim, who uh, we have to have on. I've performed at Sturgis, and Don's gotten me to perform on the Monsters of Rock cruise. And there's nothing funnier than seeing hardened, tough, leather-wearing tough guys look at me waddling out to the stage like, I think this guy's in the wrong place. <laughs> right. Every I worked Sturgis, I walked out and people were like, "What the fuck is this?" Well, you know, Mark, you know what they say—that a smile from a one percenter is as good as an applause break from anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, but the bikers are cool, though. I mean, I yeah, I, I performed out there a couple times, and it's. Uh, you know, it's they're a good community of people. They're not quite as, as scary as you think, but um, they yeah, look when you first scary. Go, go they out. act great. <laughs> yeah. 
So, I have to tell you, it's really great to be on with professional comedians like you guys. I just want you to know that my girlfriend, Judy Angela, made me promise not to try to be funny because I'm not funny. She said, <laughs> at best, she said at best, you're humorous, but don't, uh, don't think you're going to be funny. So I just wanted to call that out in case I'm not jumping in on the jokes here. <laughs> You're holding uh, your own, no problem, Pete. And Pete was always one of the I, nicest guys at MTV. Um, you know, back in the back in the, again the, dur during that time, it was a it was a pretty crazy place to work, Pete. Huh? Yeah, I had a really amazing group of people working with me and for me. And uh, you know, uh, you know, Doug uh, might have been in charge of the whole operation at the time. Uh, but Linda Corradina was the one who got us all out there, uh, invited me to come out there and edit all that stuff you saw, Don, that passed through my fingers through endless sleepless days uh, throughout that whole experience. Um, but Linda, Linda Corradina was the mastermind and, and Dave Cyrulnik really was the, uh, the executor, you know, of that programming and, uh, Kurt Loder was there and Ray Cox from MTV England. And uh, man, I'm telling you, uh, it was so amazing. Um, the impact that we had on that country at the time, as you probably remember, it was during Perestroika and there was a lot of change going on. And one of the things that happened when we first showed up there, we noticed right away that they were still waiting on lines, long, long lines for milk and bread and basics, you know? Um, and so uh, when we got there and we came in like a hellstorm, you know, I mean, it was like rock and roll, you know, and uh, these guys held no punches back. But, um, you know, we had a union uh, crew, uh, the equivalent of the Teamsters in uh, the Soviet Union, building this ginormous stage. Uh, and these men were big, burly, tattooed, overall wearing, uh, you know, these are the Russians, you think of that come to your mind when you think of Russian, uh, Russian you know what I mean? These are, these are the real deal, you know, big bloated biceps. And uh, this is a true story because um, when have a, Eat Your Hearts Out, the catering service set up their uh, catering room, it was the equivalent of a Las Vegas buffet. Wow. You had carving stations, you had salad stations, you had uh, prepared food stations. I mean, it, it was just absolutely enormous. And that's because we were all together. Every band member, every crew member, everybody was all together. We were living together and staying in the same hotel, the Ukraine Hotel. And uh, the only people who were Russian who were permitted to eat with us were these Teamster types. And I swear to God, I saw this myself when uh, these big giant men walked into the cafeteria, they started to cry. Wow. They had Whoa. never, ever seen food displayed like this in their entire lives. And I I'm telling you, they had tears on their cheeks and uh, it was very moving. So it kind of set a tone for me that became an interesting thing because I no longer really felt that these people were adversaries, you know, they're just like us, they're just people, you know, trying to get by. And at one point in time, there was an officer, a security detail, 
uh, assigned to everything that we did and 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 do, you know had and uh, this uh, this you know uh, officer was trying to search equipment boxes and stuff like that and he had no flashlight so we had brought cases of flashlights and cases of batteries because that's what we were doing like that scale of a project so I gave him a flashlight. And said, hey, how are you going to search if you don't have this? You know, take that. You know, so he takes the flashlight and searches around. And, uh, you know, he goes to give me back the flashlight. And I was like, no, you can keep it. And then I said, hey, wait a second. I turn around and I grabbed a case of D-sized batteries. And I said, you'll probably need these to run the damn thing, you know. And he, he seemed subtle about it. And he didn't really respond very strongly. Uh, and then a few days later... He came back and he had driven 30 miles to a record store just to buy the Paul McCartney Russian album and give it to me. Wow. Oh, wow. That's yeah. pretty cool. And this was a military guy. Man. You still have that, it? Yeah, I still have it. And uh, I And I was extremely moved by that because he mentioned to me, that to, he had to drive 30 miles to the record store for that one, but he wanted me to have it. So uh, there was, at the same time, the KGB was all over us. One of the things that happened is we had the world's greatest communication guy with us. And I wish I remembered his name, but he was the best radio man I've ever seen. And we had radios, handheld radios that could, broadcast 25 miles so we were actually at the venue and we were talking to our you know compadres there at the airport and once the uh, the kgb figured out we were carrying that kind of power uh they stopped all of our radio communications for 24 hours or maybe 18 hours until they could assign someone to monitor every channel which i think there was 24 of them uh, every channel for every hour of the day. Man, and wow. so, uh, so we had monitors and we had uh, translators. I, I had a translator who was working with me. Her name was Nadia, not Jezda. Now I'm going to probably butcher her last name, but I believe it was Kremenchikov. And she was a young woman who was really under a lot of pressure because she was being groomed by the KGB. And uh, when I first met her, we were having dinner in the hotel. It was the only time because have a eat your heart out didn't set up yet. And we came down to have uh, this disgusting borscht. I mean, you can see when the chicken is burned on the bone from the freezer and it's black and uh, the food, it just wow. was horrible, you know. And the whole place, the hotel was so weird because they had old ladies who slept on couches, who monitored and checked your ID as you went in and on off the floor. Uh, and the whole, the oppression was really super, you could feel it, you know? And uh, we, I came down to eat dinner and it, it really kind of started to get to me. And, uh, and Nadia said to me something like, oh, you know, Oh, uh, you know, a bit a, a big, strong American guy like you, and you're, you know, worried about a few old ladies at the desk. And I was like, dead serious. I said, I am damn afraid of the old ladies. <laughs> In fact, I'm afraid of the whole scene because I don't like the, I don't like any of it. I don't like the feel of any of it. 
And what that really resulted in was her later on confiding in me about all the pressures she was under while she was being groomed by the KGB because she knew that I was really kind of tuned into this idea that all is not what it seems in the Soviet Union, my friend, you know? Yeah. It looks, it looks like the KGB just took out Frank. <laughs> <laughs> they, they've actually been monitoring this conversation. He knows and, too much. Yeah, Frank, <laughs> we'll never see Frank again, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but um, you know, it was uh, it was an amazing period of time when um, when the bands first got there. They uh, we had a big scale party in Gorky Park in in Russia, and it was so off the hook. It, these guys were not holding anything back. Baz, Sebastian Bach. I mean, he's running up to old ladies and like trying to kiss them, you know, this big giant <laughs> guy with long hair. And, I mean, he he's just like out there and, uh, and just, you know, the, the whole scene was just East meets West in this huge, you know, thing yeah. like that. And, um, you know, one of the things I remember is that uh, uh, I went out to see Motley Crue perform at one point in time. I didn't really get to go out too often because I was working so much, but I went out to watch him play. And uh, Nadia was there, the translator, and the crowd was going crazy. They loved him. And at the end of the performance, um, Nicky takes his guitar, bass guitar, and he turns it upside down and smashes it on the floor, Pete Townsend style. And uh, the crowd just goes still just wow. still and i look around and i go what just happened you know and uh nadia looks at me and she says um you know pete i know bands who have bass players and they play with uh, two strings because they can't find the strings to buy to replace the strings on their guitar Wow. wow for you to smash a guitar in front of this group, it's like drinking water in front of someone dying of thirst. Mm -hmm. Just give someone the guitar, yeah. you see? So this is all oh. part of the clash yeah. that's occurring, you know, at the time. But one of my favorite stories is a really a deep, deep story that's uh, relatively untold. And I didn't witness this myself, so I have to put that caveat on it. But um, the truth was is that the biggest star who was there wasn't the headliner, Bon Jovi. It was Ozzy. Now, we stayed at the Ukraine Hotel, and what really happened was that uh, Russian motorcycle bikers came from all over the Soviet Union and they lined the motorcycles down the road that went to the uh, Ukraine hotel and they stood there waiting to see Ozzy and when Ozzy went by these guys are really like hell's angels badass bikers they all just kind of stood there like this with this nod of approval, like, yeah, baby, yeah, man, yeah. Mm -hmm. wow. And it was just hundreds of them, hundreds of them. And so Ozzy was the man for them. So the real problem was the billing went Bon Jovi, Motley Crue, and then Ozzy. So right before the show started, apparently, 
Um, you know, Ozzy went to Doc McGee and said, hey, listen, man, I had no idea how big I was here, you know, but uh, I understand this is John's show and he's the headliner and everything, but if you put me on uh, before, you know, uh, Motley Crue, I'm, I'm on the next plane out of here. So he's ready to leave. He wants oh to be God. the second billing. And uh, so this is a really hard conversation to have with any band, much less Motley Crue. Mm -hmm. And, you know, let's just agree, Tommy Lee is a pretty hot-headed fellow, you know? <laughs> now, uh, there was a complication to the story as well, because I understand <laughs> indirectly that uh, Doc McGee also told Motley Crue that they couldn't use their pyrotechnics at the end of their performance, which I think maybe is part of the reason why um, Nicky was prompted to, uh, you know, slam his bass guitar because uh, he didn't really have the explosiveness that he wanted. And by the way, I'm in Idaho and Nicky Six is from Jerome, Idaho and went to high That's school right. with my friend out here, just to let you know, okay? So uh, he doesn't talk about it a lot, but he's from Jerome. Anyway, uh, well, he was Frank so, Ferrano back then. Yes, Frank. That's right. <laughs> wow. And um, so um, when Bon Jovi went on the first night, because they played multiple nights, the first night he went on, um, he ended the show with uh, pyrotechnics. Oh, and boy. I saw Tommy Lee running like a track meet underneath the stage show. <laughs> as fast as he could. And I only heard indirectly that he ended up getting his hands on Doc McGee right after those explosions went off. And, uh, you know, yeah. Put, put, <laughs> he, may, he may have put his hands on Doc. I'm just saying. And That's so, where Bon Jovi uh, wrote the lyrics, lay your hands on me. Yeah. <laughs> it was originally called lay your fists on me. <laughs> Yeah, he was not pleased at all. So it's like the doors thing. Come on, touch me. It was really punch me. And it was really <laughs> <laughs> hey, before I jump off, I just wanted yeah. to say that um, you know, again, my memories of that and the way Pete and the, all the staff at MTV covered it as a fan of that music because those were all my favorite bands at that time. It was. It's so memorable to me because it was like you know i was so obsessed with that scene and you guys made it look like what it probably was which was the fucking coolest concert you could imagine if you love that type of music but i just remember yeah. seeing the like the clips of the guys partying and stuff and and you know being on the, the private plane and you could you know you see skid row and they're all lit beyond belief like you can you know you could smell the booze on their breath and 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 smell the cocaine that's still the residue <laughs> still in their noses and i was like i wanted to be a part of that so badly mm -hmm. and but it took you know like 25 years for me to start knowing these bands when we did that metal show and then i finally started to get to go backstage at these shows and and it, it it's very different for these bands 25 years later it's everyone's sober it's five guys just sitting in a dressing room with bottles of water going, yeah, so um, what's your favorite Black Sabbath album? 
no, I like volume four a little better, but yeah, that one's good. How about you? You know, like there's no, there's no partying, there's no groupies, there's no scene whatsoever. So, uh, Pete got to, Pete got to see them in their heyday. And, uh, I, you know, luckily a lot of these guys are, I was are just a sober. fringe player, but I will say if there is such a thing, there was a certain sense of metal brotherhood between them. And I always remember how grateful I was for the Scorpions who were sitting on the back of a flatbed truck with like a, a ukulele and a, a folk guitar uh, singing back in the USSR and uh, opening the Week in Rock, our new show uh, with that. And so there was a lot of great cooperation. I think everybody knew we were a part of something unique and special that was never going to happen again that way. And um you know, it, 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 I think we made an impact. There's our crew, mm -hmm. and that included Janet Scardino, George Epley, Patrick Burns, Dave Cyrulnik. I can't see everybody in there. Uh, Linda Cordina, of course. That's me in the back right when I actually had hair. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and you know, uh, boy, did we work hard. You know, I don't think any of us slept very much at all. We just went around the clock and uh, I know that you were really a, you, you were the you were always the first person to really speak out and support the the metal bands even back then and uh, you know I was glad to hear that that jacket you got was from Doug I think he gave it to the right guy. <laughs> Thank you, Pete. I really hey, appreciate uh, that. I know you have to jump, Don. Uh, do you want to plug some of your dates that you're doing with the uh, Dead Daisies? Um, we yeah, will be in Virginia tomorrow night and then we go down to Florida and we'll be in Texas. Got about five shows in Texas. Then we hit the West coast. And uh, so you can go to, you know, I'm on, you know, my socials are out there, you know, Don Jameson official. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or you can go to the dead daisies.com. Um, yeah, I'm, the dead daisies are kind of a super group of guys just they have a rock and roll hall of famer singing and playing bass glenn hughes from deep purple so uh i'm really on the road with some great you know doug aldridge from uh from dio and white snake is in the band and tommy clefettos who played on the last black sabbath tours in the band so you know i'm traveling just with these unbelievable musicians um and you know real heavyweights in the business and yeah it's just been great the shows have been awesome so you get a little rock you get a little comedy so come on out and check it out if you can otherwise uh you know i'll see you guys back in the clubs and uh unfortunately we won't make it through idaho but uh next time I'm out, <laughs> we'll have to connect well, you're missing out, okay? Because there's a lot of big artists who still play here. I I, I played in Idaho a few times, and I got as, not just because you live there now, but I, Idaho's underrated. Mm -hmm. I got. As I don't live here. I don't live. Oh, Pete's in Vegas, man. I'm just visiting, oh, okay. but it is it is a beautiful place. It yeah, really is. For sure. Well, Don, next time I see you live, it sounds like it'll be in December, the first week of December. We'll see each other in uh, Nashville. That's right. We're going to be working down there at the wind down. So uh, cool. Nice. I'll miss I'll miss you till then, darling. Yeah, I, I love you. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Great, Great to see you. Great to see everyone. Hang in there, brother. Thanks, love man. you like an evil twin brother. Um, <laughs> you know, but, I got to say, as like sort of a novice, as somebody who was just an audience member at the inception of MTV and everything, it's amazing because you guys really did, whether you know it or not, kind of shape a generation. 
you know? You really did. Small part of it, you know. Um, but, you know, guys like Kurt Loder, it was really always an honor to, to work with Kurt uh, because he was, you know, he is a, an intellectual mm-hmm. and he could frame things. Um, you know, to me, he was our Ed Bradley, you know, essentially, you know, and he, um, I had a really uh, once in a lifetime experience with Kurt there. Uh, the English truckers who drove all those 18 wheelers over once they unloaded, they had nothing to do. Right. And they had brought these little like 125 trial bikes, you know, uh, 125 CC bikes that they would often bring to a venue so they can then once the rig is parked, you know, get around. And I had gone to great lengths to think really creatively on what presence I was going to bring to the Soviet Union. And I, I bought, you know, jeans and I bought, and one thing in particular, which was very rare was something called green label Jack Daniels. And it's not the Apple Jack that you see today. Uh, It was a special and it was very hard to get. I think you could only get it out of the South. And I went way out of my way to get this green label Jack. And, um, you know, I had traded it with one of the uh, 18-wheeler truck drivers, and he just gave me carte blanche to take his motorcycle out. And, you know, I was working around the clock, and sometimes I was working with Kurt around the clock, and it could be like at this one particular night, one o'clock in the morning. And we were just kind of blowing fuses from working so much. And so I just said to him, hey, let's take a break and take a motorcycle ride through Moscow. And he said, okay. So I ju- the two of us jumped on this little bike, just me and Kurt Loader. And we started tearing around Moscow. We actually ripped through Red Square and Lenin's tomb at one <laughs> o'clock in the morning on this loud bike. I mean, we disrupted this damn country like you won't believe. And I think the whole time we were just kind of going, wee! You know? <laughs> but to go, to do that with Kurt Loder on the same street that you see all those Russian rockets parading down in front of the Kremlin, yeah. I mean, that, that was rock and roll day, you know, that well, was it, you know. But they say now that most people or a lot of people get their news off of social media or off of the computer. Yeah. And when you think about it, you and Kurt might have started that whole movement with a whole generation getting their news from MTV instead of from where their parents got their news. Well, not not me. You know, um, I was just a producer and occasional writer. You know, there I am editing in the Soviet Union, living on Coca-Cola and cookies. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, I, um, I I think that Kurt is still an, an, a very important person, and I, I very much wish that he would be on the air more than you see him now, because he is um, extremely intelligent, and it wasn't just a matter of covering the stories that other people wouldn't cover but it was how he framed everything. And uh, and you can't do it unless you're really, really intelligent. And he is, you know. When we were doing that drug special together, you know, I had to personally fight and argue to do that drug special that we were talking about yesterday. 
And it was a global piece on, you know, laws and how different countries handle drug, drug laws and all those things. And, um, but, you know, I, I never wanted to do it without Kurt. So when I finally called Kurt up and told him that I got approval to do this hour long special, um, you know, he kind of went into a diatribe on me and said, uh, I ain't going to do it unless we're going to tell the truth about this. And, you know, this is if we're going to finally do this piece and we better be doing it the way that no one's done it before and really call it what it is and blah, blah, blah. And I literally I put the phone down on my desk because he was going off and I counted to three. And then I picked up the phone and I was just like, hey, man, uh, give me a second here while I take my arm out from behind my back. <laughs> uh, but basically, of course, you know, I, I agreed to it because, um, you know, at, at no point in time did I, I really feel that uh, Kurt was just anything less than the smartest of us all, you know. And so, um, you know, that's what you don't have in social media today. You don't have the the Rolling Stone journalist, the, the New Yorker editorialist that Kurt was framing the things that are happening to our youthful generation mm -hmm. in the context of great, greater, uh, you know, sense of history, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. it's a longer point. It's a longer view yeah. that he could bring uh, to stories. And, um, and it was also uh, his humor. It was very dry, but constant. He had a yeah. subtext of all times of really just, kind of adding a sense of irony and humor and like a little kind of a side yuck, but no one's half the audience wouldn't catch it. You know, it was like, uh, like that. Yeah. And so uh, it was truly one of the greatest honors I ever had was, uh, you know, working with him. His, his humor was, it was very that you felt like he did it just for you. Like it was yeah. like, Oh, he cracked that joke just for me. I got it. And it was a, uh, it was a really cool. You felt like you were a part of something that was a little more elite than maybe your neighbors because you were tuning in. Yeah, you know? I've never interviewed artists, especially in Moscow. It was always inside baseball. Mm -hmm. He yeah. never assumed that he was one of them, but he knew everything about them, so he didn't have to prove it, and he just kind of. He would guide his interviews in the smallest little nudges and pushes and and really get what he needed every time. So, you know, I um I don't think a guy like that is ever expires like his mm -hmm. what he can contribute and what he can really do uh, even for this generation, you well, know, because he's been a part of the youth movement forever, you know. Yeah. I'm sorry to mean to interrupt. I just wanted to say that as a comic, I always felt that John Stewart had that as well. That sort of smartest yeah. man in the room quality. And if you debated him, you were going to lose, but he was going to be gracious about it and funny about it, even though you were going to lose the debate. Like as a comic, I always saw that in John Stewart. Yeah. I just can't say enough about John Stewart either. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. Totally no. the same same cloth, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Moscow was uh, really interesting. You know, there was, um, there was, uh, you know, when we first arrived, I remember looking down and seeing a, a, a pickup truck go by, and it had a, a half of a cow 
that was, you know, going to the butcher or something fully exposed and being wow. driven on the highway, you know, and, and you, you knew that, you know, there's no such things like the FDA in the Soviet <laughs> Union. <laughs> good, good, good luck. Uh, we did go to this bar that we called the KGB bar because everybody <laughs> laughed and joked about this bar being, um, you know, a monitor, you know, and uh, this is one of those places that they would uh, have. A, it was like a discotheque and, uh, <laughs> you know, and the security guards were all KGB with the earpieces. And they, it was just a matter of time before they got you into a back room with a hooker that they could videotape and have something on you. You know, it was one of those places. <laughs> Uh, but I remember Cinderella going up there and uh, getting on uh, a little like a digital piano and playing this like totally goofy Russian version of their song. You know what I mean? And, uh, <laughs> and everybody was drinking stoli and getting drunk. And uh, anyway, at one point in time, it came time to go. And um, I'll never forget it because, you know, uh, one of these English uh, truck drivers who were, you know, pretty badass guys you know uh he had a water glass filled with stoli and i'm talking about no less than 10 or 11 ounces in this glass <laughs> and uh the and the bouncer came by and you could see he was already kind of sizing up this big trucker and he was just like come on now go you got to go now you know and uh and so this trucker just casually picks up this glass <laughs> And he throws it back and he drank that like it was a glass of water. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And he put it down. And even that bouncer looked at him like, wow. You know, <laughs> that was, was crazy. See, we need him to be on the show so he could be the drink section of the oh, show. <laughs> Since all of us are just drinking coffee. <laughs> Between the uh, t the truckers from England and those Teamster type guys building the stage and everything, we had Man. some some big guys around us. And then you got guys like Sebastian Bach, who, man, he is just a huge guy. You know, he's like tall and everything. And Sebastian really took a shine to the MTV news news team, and he hung out a whole lot with us. And he was uh, just the nicest guy. I mean, Sebastian is such a great guy, you know. Uh, <laughs> and I'm going to get uh, the piece that we cut for the Week in Rock and uh, lay it off so you guys can add this to your oh, podcast. Cool. And you can see how fun Baz was when we took him through the subway system. And he was just <laughs> running up to everybody with his tattoos and his long hair. And he's like, hey, man. <laughs> you know, and they're like, they're like, going oh what the hell you know and yeah. uh, it was really kind of fun disrupting the whole joint you know and right. uh, I, have to, I have to say this because this is the stuff that I, it really makes me excited and I, I feel like it lets you know there's something bigger out there so you're bringing up Sebastian um, Sebastian Bach when we first started back up uh, before uh, right, right before the pandemic we did an episode with Don Jameson and we were in a studio out in Brick, New Jersey. And we had Don on as one of the guests and they were saying Sebastian was there. Sebastian Bach was there the night before uh, recording something that him and like a couple of his buddies were recording something in the studio we were in. And there were 
they said he did some artwork on the walls and we look over he drew a bunch of penises <laughs> on the walls. It's like, you know, he's in his fifties now. Yeah. You know? Taz is a big kid. He was a big <laughs> kid back then and so much fun to have around. But you know, whenever he was around, you just got the feeling that anything can happen, like anything <laughs> at all, you know, uh, but that's kind of made him fun. Um, I, I, I do want to add a little story because uh, there was this sort of sense of camaraderie and that all these guys felt like they were in the right place together. Oh, hey, there. there he is with, yeah. with the man, Ozzy uh, looking like a mean uncle. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I remember at one point in time in the cafeteria, you know, we were eating and the and the bands are all eating together right next to us and they're all we're all together eating and hanging out and uh, adam curry um he just kind of walked down the aisle with his cowboy hat on doing like his best clint eastwood thing i don't know what he was trying to do but he was just too cool for school and I just remember all these guys who you know are certifiably cool, right? All these guys <laughs> are just looking up at him like and watching him go by like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> they looked at him like it was just one of those weird moments where, um, you know, I think uh, the right way to approach him was Kurt Loder's way, not the Adam Curry way. And I think Adam tried <laughs> to... Uh, to play the part a little bit there and um and it didn't kind of work to be honest <laughs> <laughs> that, so when when the, this winds down you guys are all flying home did you you guys had to know the impact that it had while it, it was going on or did you come home and just was completely uh, look at that it's Crazy. That stage wow. was incredible. I mean, that was such an incredible stage. Look at the size of that thing. And wow. Yeah. It, it, you know, <laughs> no, we didn't really feel that way. We, um, we knew uh, that we were exhausted. We were <laughs> completely exhausted. I think, you know, when you go through something like that, you say to yourself, this is going to take a while to process, you know, it's one of those things. And, uh, and it did. It really did. Uh, it was. Um, it felt good to be home. It felt really, really good to be home. I, you know, I saved a lot of my materials. You know, we had all these kits and manuals and booklets and forms and passes, and I saved all that stuff. You know, it's just weird to look back at. Um, yeah. But it was. Uh, it was a once in a lifetime thing. I mean, I'm sure. You know, Moscow isn't the same anymore either. You know. Mm. Yeah. Was that one of your most impactful projects you've worked on? Because it seems to really resonate so strongly with you because you got to see something. You got to look behind the curtain, the steel curtain, right? Like you got to really see what was Iron going on. Curtain? Do you mean Iron, Iron Curtain? Steel Iron Curtain's Curtain. in Pittsburgh. Yeah, Pittsburgh. Sorry. Iron Curtain. <laughs> First of all, I, I really love those bands and I got to love them a, a little bit more being with them. But my experience wasn't so much on the music side it was the personal side it was mm -hmm. befriending nadia the translator and having her confide in me and what she was really saying to me is that she was under so much pressure for, from the kgb and being groomed and and here's how it works okay 
So, you know, everyone's supposed to be paid the same in that country, right? Yeah. And now um, they have their eyes set on this young woman that they want more out of on an international scale, which is why they shoved her in with the international event. And uh, her dad runs a radio show. Her dad is running a classical radio show for years. And the KGB go to her and they say, why don't you tell your dad to suggest to do this new radio show, right? Mm -hmm. So she tells her dad, why don't you suggest doing this radio show? And he suggests it. And now he has a second radio show and he has a second salary. Oh, you see, it's like animal farm, mm, yep. you see, but they do it because um, basically Nadia was living in the same apartment with her mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, uh, brothers, sisters. I think an uncle might have lived there. I'm not sure. But they were all in one place right across the street from KGB headquarters. And, um, and you know, they were going to take care of their own. But she was um, really looking for an out through uh, UNESCO because she had high contacts in UNESCO. And uh, she really didn't want to go down that path. And she, was, she felt very pressured. So, so that was one of the things that I, I had personally experienced. Um, I think seeing Billy Crystal perform his HBO special in Moscow was one of the greatest things I ever did in my whole life. And he's How so did that translate? I mean, for the, the well, people, you know, the Russians. His heritage is a Russian, Russian Jewish. And yeah. it was a big deal for him to go there. And he spent some time speaking in Russian and saying a few things in Russian. But for the most part, um, you know, he did his show in, um, in English. And it was a very emotional show. It was a little bit more emotional than some of his other shows, uh, his uh, work, because, uh, you know, he was trying to bring to light the differences uh, between the East and the West. And all of it wasn't good just for the West. Do you know what I mean? Because at one point in time, he portrayed uh, a sort of a relatively modest a uh, simple man who's talking about uh, his friend who just came back from the United States and he's exclaiming that they have strawberries in the wintertime in the United States and everything. And, uh, and, and his little portrayal, you know, he says, uh, so what, so what? And if you have strawberries all year long, then what do you have to look forward to in the springtime, you know? So he's bringing sort of a wisdom humor, you know, uh, to, to, to his show. So that was extremely, extremely poignant. Um, you know, I felt, uh, you know, really, really honored to, to be there uh, working with some of the people from MTV London, like Ray Cokes. Uh, and he's just uh, very much cut from the same cloth as, as you, Mark. You know, a great sense of humor, really personable, nice, friendly guy. Um, I'm sure I'll be able to lay off a, a piece or two that he's in, and you'll see that he's just uh, very talented. Um, you know, 
it, it was just one of the, it became a much more personalized experience than it was some grandiose world shape, shaping thing. You know, I didn't feel like we changed the world, but I, I knew that we had connected with people all over the place. And even if there were some misfires, like the breaking of the base, um, you know, it's kind of understandable. Yeah, you learn from it. It's kind of there's nothing wrong with Nicky smashing his bass guitar. I, I who who could have known? I could I couldn't have told yeah. him ahead of time. Don't break your bass. Did uh, anybody convey that to him? Like after it happened, when you learned what that meant, was that like? Oh, I don't know. I don't really know how much the band really took notice of it. You know, I was pretty close to up front in the stage and. People were pogo sticking at the moment right before he did it, and then they all kind of stopped. And uh, but uh, but th that's okay. I mean, in a way, to give the gu guitar away, that's not rock and roll e either. You know, what I mean, so yeah. no, there's no no blame on Nikki for that. Yeah. Um, and, but without uh, getting was, into with that, without getting into politics, I mean, this really does go to show because this wasn't that long ago. This wasn't like. Sure, it wasn't. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it wasn't that. It wasn't a long off. I mean, we live in a really wonderful country. Thousands years ago. Your hairline differs with me, but I, I would say, I, I think you know. I mean, I was when this happened. I think I was like nine years old, and people were waiting in line for food. I mean, and and now the. Like the world, we live in a great country, and I, I think a lot of times people don't, they don't, uh, re, they don't, they don't take that into consideration. You know, but, people don't yeah. realize what first world is, right? So there's a lot of countries that are even worse off than they were right now that is still out there, but we're so uh, consumed with, you know, well, we're worried about right. getting a selfie. But there is a permanence to the impression, though, because I have a joke where. One of the punchlines of the joke is, Mom, I'm not going back to Russia in 1978. And everybody mm -hmm. gets what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, there is sort of a permanence to that moment historically and the impression that it left. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wish things were a little bit different when it comes to uh, people appreciating uh, our country. Sometimes I feel like... Uh, we really miss the point. You know, we get so wrapped up in criticizing. Uh, we forget that the good far outweighs the bad, even though the bad is bad. Um, you know, this is the best country in the whole world. And you don't know it until you really travel and, yeah. and then come back home again. I always said, though, and uh, it's like an ancient Indian proverb is uh, left wing and right wing belong to the same bird and, and we have to kind of remember that you know and and understand that um we can't fly on one wing you know uh we have to figure out uh how we can cross the aisle and work together and and really move our country forward for the benefit of our ourselves our, our population you know so yeah, yeah. I, well, I really the, don't. Go ahead, Frank. Oh, I was going to say now the filmmaker in me is like, well, you know, what we got to do, Mark, is we got to go to Russia and find people that were touched by this or find the family that he's talking about and see where they're at 30 years later. Because I'm sure it affected a lot of lives on the other side as well. Yeah. Pete, did you maintain connection with the translator? 
no, no, I didn't. No. Um, she would be cool to reach out to because she made such an impact on you in such a small period of time, right? Yeah, so she, she did. Uh, no, she, um, you know, what it was interesting was uh, that she sort of opened up about uh, secret stuff. And, uh, yeah. and that was, that came out after a long night of walking around uh, the city. And I'll never forget because uh, it was just like the movies. At one point in time, I dropped her off at her house right across the street from the offices of the KGB. And I was, I, I turned around and there's a guy walking up to me in a trench coat who asks me in broken English if I have a light for his cigarette. I mean, good God, you know, he's such a stereotype, you know? And I, and I, I go, yes. And I smile and laugh and he looks at me and he smiles and laughs. He just wanted me to know that he was her tail and he was on it all night long. And he knew everything. You weren't getting any tails. <laughs> it wasn't about getting any tail. He wanted me to know that he, she was watched over, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, but, you know, the sad part about it was that, you know, you, th the poor girl was under pressure. Like it was, it was stressful, you know? This was, yeah. no, this was no easy role for her. To take on and i don't think she volunteered for it you know yeah yeah you know, I, uh, it would be fascinating to see how that all turned out it would be very fascinating to see how her life turned out yeah absolutely yes. well pete we've had you for an hour and five so i i i, I can listen all night I can listen to you all day man this is uh this is so much fun i hope you'll come back i'd love to talk more um, and of course, I'll probably give you a call later today and see how you're doing tonight. <laughs> up in Idaho. Well, thank but, you, uh, guys. I, I hope I didn't bore you. And no, uh, no, oh, you were great. It was fascinating. Fascinating stuff, man. This awesome. Is, I I could just do a whole. I feel oh, like a whole too. hour just on you and the translator and what the the story and the exactly. whole thing. We got to so start I, doing our due diligence, find her, and then make a future episode. The reuniting on here so we could chat and see what the perspective variance is. I think that would be so crazy. Well, that's the great thing about the that's the great thing about the internet. You don't even need to do a documentary anymore. You just get everybody on the same podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? You know, I uh, I always like to look forward as much as I can. You know, that's uh, that's what I that's what I do to to keep keep moving forward. You know. Great yeah. Anyway, guys, thank you for having me. It's really an honor to be on the show with you guys. I appreciate you so much. Um, we'll have you back on, man. I I okay, just brothers. I just enjoy it so much. You're just a wealth of knowledge, and you're, you're like a poet, an information poet. Hopefully, we can do this <laughs> live soon enough where we could uh, interview you in studio, so we can talk and share a drink. And yes, I mean I, way, that means a uh, Vegas that. trip. I can't believe how lucky I am. Like subbing, and he's the guest on both shows. It's like, <laughs> I mean, you can't get any, I, you know, um, no, can't I'm, land I'm, any softer. I'm, cannot I'm, land any softer than that. I'm honored to be with you guys. I really am. We'll Thank have you. to do a uh, Vegas trip to come out and do it live with Pete. Look oh my God, what a great idea. You know, we can probably do, we can dig up a lot of great musicians for you to talk to out in Vegas. What a great idea. 
Maybe we'll yeah. even have Wayne Newton on with Wayne Newton. Yes, Wayne <laughs> Newton is somebody that uh, we can he he would do with us uh, your show. I'm sure of it. Awesome. Oh my God! Or Mark, I work I work closely with John Stewart, who's a producer and close friend of his for many years. And uh, yeah, there's you know there's a close knit <laughs> group of performers there we can tap into. Mark, you can get the real article and then the impersonator. <laughs> you got well, plenty of those, and right? we don't call them impersonators. Oh, they're, sorry. Tri they're tribute artists. Oh. Tribute artists. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> my, my, my apologies. I did not yeah. mean to uh, call. You know, use the, the allegations. The difference yeah. between the two is one is a poser, the other is devoted. Oh, ah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, real quick, I think you'll get a kick out of this. Uh, we did a show Thursday. It was a variety show. And the singer brought me on stage. Our buddy Justin Gonzalez brought me on stage. Unbeknownst, I didn't know he was going to say this. So I come on stage. I almost pissed my pants laughing. He goes, this next guy likes to consider himself the Dean Martin of our group. But we all see him as the drunk Wayne Newton. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming to the stage laughing my ass off. And the suit that I put on uh, fit before COVID. So as I'm laughing, <laughs> the buttons are going. <laughs> hey, listen, seriously, you you really should come to Vegas just to do a show with Wayne Newton because people just don't realize how much his career has spanned and how much of a boy wonder he was from the beginning. And, yeah. uh, you know, he's the last of them. That's it. Yeah. When he goes... There is no more of that generation. So you you guys should come out and do him right Let's away. Let's talk this weekend. I'm it's ready. Happen. You know what, Mark? Mm. Just one final story based on that. Back when I did the uh, Armed Forces Entertainment Tour, when I was in the Middle East, they bring yeah. everybody up to music. They were bringing everybody else up to like Wu-Tang Clan and whatever, right? They brought <laughs> me up to Dean Martin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, guys, kick in the head. It's, it's so nice to be on with you. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. We love you, Pete. Don't get shame, Pete. We will talk I'll to you call soon. You this week. Okay. All <laughs> right, chat, guys. Some storytelling, everybody. All right, Tom, nice. Frank, Mark. Peace out. Thanks, nice. Pete. Bye. -bye.